You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Um, if you would do me a favor, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We're continuing our sermon series in the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. Um, you can take that Bible, open up to page 921. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to gift you a Bible. You can have that Bible here. We study God's word. We believe in the power of God's word and we want you to have it. Um, what we, let, oh, let me tell you the title. Sorry, I was about to just jump right in. I was like, wait a minute. They don't know the introductory information. The title of today's sermon is Used by God. Um, like I said, I don't come up with fancy titles. Um, I'm not really creative. Um, this is the interesting part about um, Acts chapter 13. Um, this, is, this is very uh, true to us. It's a very practical message this morning. Like sometimes we ought to listen to things that are just very practical. I, I think our natural desire, I, tell me if I'm wrong. Actually, just tell me I'm right. Um, our natural desire, when we come to faith, um, I remember this happened to me. When I became a Christian, my natural desire, when, once I became a Christian, was to like serve God. All I wanted to do was either study God's word, learn more about God's word, and then I wanted, I, somehow I wanted to show him that I was worthy of the gospel and I wanted to do whatever I could like to live out my faith. Was that you? Like, I mean, maybe not as vigorous, but like there was this innate desire in us um, to like serve God, to show him that we have believed, um, to, to testify to the world, right? We, we testify to the world that we believe in Jesus, that we are saved, we believed in the gospel and we want to serve him. We want to be used by God. I'm remembered of the old song. I'm going old school. Um, this is old school for me, not your old school, but this is old school for me. Um, I remember a song we used to sing in church. Um, it was the, I think it was the potter's hands. It was like, oh my gosh, I was going to sing it, but I shouldn't. Um, it, was, it was a song that goes like, like take me, mold me, fill. Sing it with me. Fill me, something like that, right? Like, I give my life to the Father's hand. That's why I'm not in the choir, right? Like, I, I, I thought of that song, right? Like, when I sang that song in church, it was just like, the, like, the tears were well up. And I just, like, thought in my mind, like, God molding me, shaping me, using me, leading me, guiding me. Like, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be used by God. Not for selfish purposes, even though there were times there were selfish purposes, right? Like, sometimes I wanted people to see, I'm a Christian. Um, but, but I wanted to be used by God because, like, I remember the place that I was in when he rescued me out of the pit, right? Like, I remember when he saved me from the muck and the mire of life. And I wanted, in return, in gratitude, serve him and do whatever it was, right? Like, like one of the ways that I thought about that when I was really young, I didn't know the Lord was going to lead me um, to do ministry. I didn't want to do ministry. And to some extent, I still don't want to do it because like, I often think about my shortcomings. I know it's like almost hypocritical, but like, I look at my shortcomings, but I remember like being drawn to that passage in Psalms where David said, 
I want to spend all my days in the temple of the Lord, right? Like, like what does he say too? Like, like, uh, like, the, like a, a day for the Lord is like a thousand years. And then, and I would think of that passage and I would think like, God, I just want to spend a thousand years in your temple. I just want to spend a thousand years with you because I just wanted to serve him. I wanted to give my life to him. I wanted to be used by him. We come to Acts 13 and, and we, we come to a point in the book of Acts where God's going to have to use different people to do the work of ministry. And he's gonna have to use them during a particular difficult situation. Um, he, he's going to use now a new group of people to advance the gospel. Um, just for uh, context, the chapter... Um, of the Jerusalem church has been closed, meaning that Luke is no longer gonna talk about the church in Jerusalem. The chapter's ended. If you look at uh, verse 25 in Acts chapter 12, he simply says, the gospel and the church multiplied, and then the chapter ends on the church of Jerusalem. We really don't hear much about the church in Jerusalem. And now he starts this new chapter, or like this new storyline. And the new storyline is gonna focus on the church growing in among the, the Gentile nation, and he focuses his attention on a different group of men. Like, we, don't, we won't hear about Peter and the rest of the apostles so much. Um, we'll hear about them in Acts chapter 15. We might hear about them later on, but, but now moving forward, it's about the gospel advancing. It's about God using men and women to advance the gospel to the Gentiles. So read with me. We're gonna be in the first 12 verses today. Acts 13, now there were in the church of Antioch, right? So this is not the church in Jerusalem, this is the church in Antioch. Think of Acts chapter 11 when you think of the church of Antioch. Remember, this is after Stephen um, is stoned to death. What does the Bible say in verses 19 to 20? It says that the people in the church scattered. And one of the places they scattered was to Syria and, and Cyprus and all these other cities. And now, like, he kind of paused the pause button, he pressed the pause button on that story and then picks back up again in Acts chapter 13, right? Because from, from the other two chapters, right, he's talking about the church in Jerusalem and the apostles. But from Acts 11, right, he's talking about the, the church advancing to the Gentiles. So he's picking up the story back up again in Acts 13 the church in Antioch, right? There were prophets, teachers. Now he's gonna mention some names, like these are the names of the, of the leaders of the church. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Maimon, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit, notice again, the main character, the main focal point of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, notice that he's repeating this idea, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Verse four, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived to Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Pathos, 
they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Verse eight. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed and when he saw what he had occurred, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Like, what are some things that you notice here in this passage, right? Like this idea, the, the main idea I'm trying to, us to, to think about is being used by God. How can God use us? Where can God use us? Like what are the necessary tools and resources we need to be used by God? Not just to testify of the gospel, but to live out the gospel, to show the gospel, to speak truth and love. How can God do that? When will God do that? What do we have to do to allow God to do that? The first thing that I want us to see, the first thing that I want us to notice in this passage is that there is a rhythm and there is a continuous pattern that we see in the church. Now, when I say the church, I mean the universal church, not only the church in Jerusalem, but which we've been talking about, but now the church in Antioch. What is the pattern? What is the rhythm that we see happen in the church? This is the pattern. The pattern we see in the church is worship and prayer. Right? We talked about prayer last week. We talked about the power of prayer, how God answers prayers, how God hears the cries of his children and responds in petition. We talked about the different types of prayers, right? There's prayers of worship, of confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. What we see is that same thing here. Not petition, but we see worship. Worshiping God for who he is. Worshiping God for what he's done. The pattern of the church is always worship, prayer, and the word. Worship, prayer, and the word. That is the pattern of the church. We want to see God move in our church. Let's do what they did. Worship, prayer, and the word. That's the pattern. You want to be used by God? You want to see God move in your life? You want to see God move in our city? Because let me tell you something. We need God in our city. Amen. Just watch the news. I've said this before and I'll keep saying it every service. Things are not getting better. They're getting worse. And the answer isn't a plan. The answer is the word of God. Prayer, the church. You want to see change in our city? You want to see change in our country? We celebrate Independence Day. You want to see change, good change in our church? Let's pray. Let's worship. Let's fast. Because true prayer, true power comes from prayer. Um, um, and here, here's something that I want us to notice as well. That, that not only, remember last chapter, the church was praying, but what did you notice in this chapter? Who's praying? The leaders. The leaders are praying. 
And you notice the type of leaders that they have. Like, I only mentioned one Jewish name and all that, but all the leaders of that church were of diverse background ethnicities. They came from different places. And what we notice about their character, or dis their disposition in the church, was not only that they were leaders, but they were prayer warriors. They prayed to God. The mark of a healthy church is not only that a church that prays, but is leaders that are praying. If a pastor is not praying, if, if a leaders or if elders of a church are not praying, that is not a healthy church. A healthy church has a congregation, members, Attendees who believe in the power of prayer, who, who love to pray, but who are led to pray by its leaders. So the mark of a healthy church is, is to have prayerful leaders. Why? Why is it important for our leaders to pray? Well, it's important for leaders to pray so that we can receive wisdom from the Lord, so that we can receive guidance from the Lord, so that we can understand God's plan and purpose for not only our individual lives, but for the life of our church. The purpose that leader, the reason why leaders pray is so that they can lead you to pray, so that we can be a church that prays, that seeks God's will. We want to be used by God, we have to pray. I said this before and I'm gonna add one more thing to it. Last week I said, right, prayer is how God accomplishes his plan in our lives and in the church. I wanna add one more thing to that, right? Like in, in this passage, what we see is not only that the leaders worshiped, which is another form of prayer, not only did the leaders pray to God, but they also fasted. Look, look with me again at verse three or excuse me, verse two and three. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which they have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and set them off. Prayer and fasting are how God accomplishes his plan in our life. And I wanna talk a little bit about fasting, right? Because like we're talking about this idea of being used by God, right? But one of the ways we can be used by God, we have to be in tune with God. We have to be in tune in prayer. And, and what, is, what is happening in this passage? What is fasting? Why are they fasting? And I think um, we learn about fasting in the Old Testament. It was, uh, it was part of the Jewish ritual to fast. And basically what fasting is, is that you abstain from eating for a short period of time or a long period of time for the purposes of praying and seeking God in wisdom or waiting for God to answer in prayer, right? And then sometimes fasting is for consecration, meaning that you want to set yourself before the Lord in prayer and abstain from food because you want God to do something in you or through you, or you want him to change your mind, your heart, right? This is the idea that we see in Daniel. The reason why Daniel fasted was to consecrate himself before the Lord so that he wouldn't eat the food of the foreign nation, right? We, we hear this of a Daniel fast. Jesus talked about fasting. Jesus fasted. Remember, Jesus fasted for 40 days. Why? In preparation for his ministry. So the rhythm of the church was to pray and it was to fast. I love what John Piper says about fasting 
because I think this is true for us of why we should fast in prayer, why we abstain from food. There is no power in the actual fasting, but what it does is it forces us to focus our attention on God and to eliminate all the physical needs we have for a short period of time, to ask God to do something, to seek God's will, to, to, to be in tune with God's will, to be in tune with his heart, to be led by the spirit. This is what he says about fasting. I think it's a beautiful quote. Um, he says, we fast to express our longing or our ache for all the implication of Jesus's power in the present moment that isn't completely realized. I'll say that again. We fast to express our longing or our ache for all the implications of Jesus's power in the present moment that isn't completely realized. I love this quote because it reflects the heart of the early church. It reflects the heart of the individual. We fast because we long for God to do something big, bigger than us. We long for God to do something in our church. We long for God to do something in our community. We long for God to do something in our country. And what do we want God to do? We want his power to be made known. We want his presence to be made known. And we want people to know him. Right? Like, that's why we're, we're fasting and we're praying. It's not just so that God would do something for us, but he would do not only something in us, for us, through us, for his name's sake, for his glory and his honor and his fame. So, so you want to be used by God, right? Like we ought to want to be used by God. Like the days of being, of, of just living your personal faith out in your private life is gone. It's time that we live out our faith publicly, sharing the gospel, showing the gospel, preaching the gospel, because we need the gospel in our world. And for us to do that, for us to do that, we need to be prayerfully thinking and asking God what you want us to do. And one of the ways the church prayed was through fasting. One of the ways that we can pray, God, what you want me to do? Where are you leading us? Where are you going? What is it that you are communicating to your people? We do it through fasting. We fast for our children. We fast for our marriages. We fast for the deepest parts of our heart. Why? So that God can be glorified in those very things. So, so the natural rhythm of the church is to pray and to fast. And notice what happens when the church prayed and fast. The Bible says the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Who? I don't know, but he spoke to them collectively, maybe with, through an impression. I don't know what it was, but they collectively knew that the Spirit of God had called Barnabas and Saul. Notice that the first person that's mentioned is Barnabas. Side note, little tangent. This, during this time of the Big C Church, Paul, what we call Paul, isn't a significant um, individual in the church, meaning like he's not as like impressive or as formidable as we know him to be. He's still actually the second guy. The first guy is Barnabas. Barnabas during this time is the actual primary leader of reaching the Gentiles. He's the primary missionary to the Gentiles. Paul is actually just the second guy with him. He's tagging along. 
And here we see a shift where we're going to see that God's going to use Paul in a mighty way that I believe it's going to change the way he leads and guides. Then he becomes the primary missionary to the Gentiles. But, but in this moment, we see Barnabas and Saul. That's his Hebrew name. And what is God's plan and desire through prayer and fasting of the church? It is to use Barnabas and Paul to reach the Gentile nation. It was God's plan and desire for Barnabas and Saul to be sent out. Notice that the church that is doing the sending is not the Jerusalem church. Did you find that interesting? That, that, that the primary hub, the, 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 the headquarters of where the gospel is moving, growing, and leading is the church in Jerusalem. But the church in Jerusalem isn't the sending church. It's Antioch. Antioch is north, very much north in Syria. It's the church that sends Barnabas and Paul. Why? Why is that significant? Why is that significant for us? Because it's just another demonstration that God can use anybody. God can use any church. That, that, that God doesn't need this one church to do everything. God calls various churches to do various works. And one of the works that God has called the church of Antioch, one of the ways that God is going to use the church in Antioch is to send Barnabas and Paul to be missionaries to the Gentile nation. It's not the church in Jerusalem. It's the church in Antioch. It's God's plan, God's purpose, that the church would be used this way. In the same way that the church of Jerusalem was used to reach the, the Jewish community, this is the church by which God is going to use to send missionaries out, Barnabas and Paul, to reach the Gentile nation. What we also notice um, in, in the way that God used the church is that he used them to affirm the calling in Paul and Saul, right? Like those men weren't the missionaries. The missionaries were, were, were Barnabas and Paul, but God used them, those men, the leaders, to commission, to send out Barnabas and Paul. And, and if you're asking the question like, I want to be used by God, like, I have this idea. I feel like the Lord is leading me to do this. Look at the pattern and rhythm of the church. When they received information from the Holy Spirit, what did they do? They fasted and they prayed, and then they commissioned. You want to be used by God? You want to be used by God in missions, or you want to be used by God in ministry? Like, like God uses the wisdom and counsel of the leaders of the church to help you discern that calling. Used by God is not just a feeling that you have, right? Like, I often hear this from somebody, um, from a couple of people, like, I, I feel like God is calling me to do this. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, that's the wisdom of the church and the church leaders, that, that he would use the church leaders to confirm a calling in your life that he would use the church leaders to discern in your heart and your mind whether or not that is a valid calling. That's how God used the church in Antioch. Not only to send, but to confirm. Send and confirm the mission and the purpose to reach the gospel. Notice too that the assignment wasn't clear. 
this gets me worked up because like oftentimes, like when I feel like God is leading me to do something, I feel like I don't have the plan figured out, right? Like when God called me to do ministry, he didn't tell me where and when, and that drove me crazy because I know where I wanted to be among the people I wanted to be with, the location, like I planned that all out, but I knew in my heart and my mind that God did not call me to do that thing, right? Oftentimes when God uses us and has a plan for us, he doesn't necessarily make it clear all the steps and all how the processes of how God's gonna use you. Oftentimes God just uses you and he wants a posture from you to be open, willing and available to do what God called him to do, to do what God's called you to do, when he's called you to do it, at the time he's called you to do it. And, and oftentimes it's just not necessarily the way you want it. That's what happened here in the book of Acts, right? Like Barnabas and Paul didn't know where they were going. They just knew that God had called them, separated them to be missionary to the church. So they were obedient and faithful. So how did God use them? This is an interesting moment in the book of Acts. In my opinion, this is, this is why I think this is really interesting. Not only, does Barnabas, not only is Barnabas and Paul called to be missionaries to the gospel. Paul, in this moment, if you look at verse six, Paul's gonna be used by God in a really strong way. Paul's gonna be used by God, in my opinion, in an extraordinary way. Like, it's not like the good stuff that we see in the New Testament, right? Where people are gonna get healed from sickness. Blind people are going to see. It isn't the, the gospel is gonna be preached and 3,000 people are gonna be saved. It isn't the in the jail cell, an angel's gonna appear and release you from prison. That's, that's not what's gonna happen here, right? The, the way the God's gonna use these two men is to go preach the gospel, and immediately as they preach the gospel, they're faced with obstacle and adversity. And, and look at the type of, of obstruction that they face. Look at it in verse six. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Pathos, remember this is Paul's first missionary journey. He's made his way to Antioch. The church Antioch sends him out. He ends up on this island. He goes to these cities. He preaches the gospel. And he preaches the gospel first to the Jews. That was Paul's pattern. You preach the gospel first to the Jews because that's who the gospel was for first. That's who God wanted to save first. You preach to them. If it works out, you help them, you know, become leaders of the church. If they reject you, want to beat you up, well, you move on. But this is the first, this is the first interaction Saul has, right, and Barnabas has as they're being used by God in chapter 13. Look at verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Pathos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Barjesus. Notice how Luke describes him. The way Luke describes him is one, he calls him a magician. That's just another word for sorcerer. But look what he says. He says a Jewish, right? A Jewish false prophet. Here, here's the issue. One, we know in Jewish 
um, rituals, culture, and Jewish religion, right, that it was taboo to, to, to be a sorcerer. Like, they, that wasn't their natural bent. Though the rest of the world uh, dabbled in, in witchcraft and cultic practices, that was not the culture and ritual of the Jewish people, right? Like, they didn't, they didn't deal with those things in the Old Testament. In fact, the people who dealt with those things were ostracized, excommunicated from the community because that's not how they were designed to be. But Luke describes this as a Jewish man. He calls him Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus is no affiliation. He, he's not trying to be like Jesus. Bar-Jesus just means son of Jesus. He's not son of Jesus. He's, his dad's name was Jesus. Jesus was a common name in the first century. But he calls him a Jewish magician, a false prophet, that, that is his title, right? He even says, he even says um, about him, like he gives him another name to describe who he is. And I think this is important for us to notice because there are two people that God is gonna use in this story to demonstrate his power, to demonstrate his work. There are two people. The first is this magician. The second one is the proconsul. Who's the proconsul? Sergius Paul Paulus. Well, the proconsul in during those times just, just meant a governor. The reason why he was called a proconsul is because he worked for the Roman Senate, not the Roman Emperor, right? This was a province of, of the Roman Senate, meaning it was governed by the senators of Rome. So they called them proconsuls because they worked for the Senate. They got their orders from the Senate. And, and what Luke is describing here is the importance of this man. Like, this is a high-ranking man. This is a man of great importance. This is a man of, of great power. This is a man of great wealth. And he wants to communicate something to us and communicate to the people who would read this a, a thread, right, that God is going to use Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry, right, to preach the gospel to unbelievers, but there's an obstacle, there's, there's opposition, and the opposition is a man who's called a false prophet. And what does the Bible say? How does Paul deal with this? How does Paul address the issue? Well, the Bible says that Paul was filled with the Spirit. Once again, we get this idea of being filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It, it means, right, that you are completely controlled by the Spirit. It means that you are completely controlled by the work of the Spirit. Your heart, your, your I mean, that's not your heart. Your heart, your mind, your thoughts, your words, everything about you is controlled by the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit allows Paul to discern that what this man is doing is wrong. Who this man is, is evil. What we notice in this passage, in this moment, that Paul is able to discern the intentions, the motives, and the power of this person. And like, why is this important? It's important for us today, I think, for us to be filled with the Spirit, for us to be controlled by the Spirit, for us to be led by the Spirit, for us to have discernment from the Spirit. Because we live in a culture, we live in a world today that, that wants nothing to do with the gospel. We live in a culture today that desires not to glorify the name of Jesus, but to glorify the self. We live in a culture today that is relative. There is no absolute truth. God's word isn't true. Your truth is your truth. And you ought to speak your truth whenever you want to speak it. 
And we need to be filled with the Spirit because what we see Paul do in this passage is he calls out sin. And how does he call out sin? He calls him the son of the devil. There are five, five things that Paul calls this man. And one of them, he calls him son of the devil. He calls him a, a person who's the enemy of righteousness. He calls him somebody who does evil, who has evil intentions. And he also calls him someone who, 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 who desires to impede the work of the ministry. And, and I think that's important for us because the more practical idea here in this passage that we ought to remember is that oftentimes when God uses us, oftentimes when God wants to use us, it's not only to, to share the gospel, but it's to speak truth of the gospel, to speak truth into our culture. Right, like I follow this example and I think to myself, we ought to be a church to speak truth. To speak truth to a world that is sinful. To speak truth to a world that desires not to honor God, that desires to honor itself. We speak truth to a world, right? that has no inclination, no propensity to serve God, only to serve itself. We live in a culture, right, that's even more tolerable today, right, that, like I said before, there's no absolute truth, that truth is relative, and that, that you ought to speak your own truth. We ought to speak the truth of God's word, and that's what we see Paul do, to be used by God oftentimes is to speak truth, to speak the truth of God's word, to call sin, sin, right? Like, sin is a reality. Sin is present, and not only in our life, and in this world. And we ought to call it what it is. The world is sinful, but we ought to do it in love. This is a moment in the New Testament in which Paul calls out sin, and it seems harsh, right? Like, it seems really bad that he calls this guy out because he calls him the son of the devil. I'm reminded of what Jesus said to the Pharisees, right? He calls them son of the devil in John. He says that your father is the devil and that your desire and your, your path is to bring lies to the people of God and to, and to speak lies to the people of God. I think it's important for us to realize, right? That in this passage, to be used by God is not only to preach a gracious and merciful loving gospel, but is also to preach a really hard gospel that God takes sin seriously and God's wrath will be poured out on all those who are sinful. But for those who believe and put their trust in him, there's everlasting life. I think here we see that it's okay for us to be used by God to speak truth to our family members and friends. But we ought to do it in love. We ought to do it with much grace and much mercy. And I love this point about Paul because, but what does Paul do? Paul seems to have the power to like even curse this guy. Like Paul, look at what he does in verse 11, right? Paul like makes this guy blind. And I can't help but think that, that at one time Paul was blind, right? Like we often see Jesus say in the gospels, right, that, that I have come 
for the blind to see. And those who think they see are blind. And there's this illustration, this idea, right, that people who walk in darkness cannot see. People who do not know Jesus cannot see for their eyes. And in a moment in history, right, in Acts chapter 9, we see that that Paul was blinded and he himself had to be led into the city because, because the picture that is painted for us is that his physical ailment, what, what he could not do, right, which was see, was a representation of his soul, was a representation of his heart. He could not see Jesus. And I can't help but think in this passage that when, when Paul says, you're going to be blind in some form or fashion, his heart's desire is not to condemn the man, but is also in hopes that the man would find Jesus, in hopes that the blindness would, would cause him to think and to believe in Jesus. But here's what we do see, right? That because the man becomes blind and because Paul is able to blind him, what happens to the proconsul? Verse 12 says that he comes to faith. Why does he come to faith? He comes to faith because he believed and because he saw. That's the power of the gospel. I think for us this morning, to be used by God. If you want to be used by God, we ought to pray like the early church prayed. We ought to seek the Lord in prayer and in fasting, and we ought to be open and available to be used by God. And we ought to be open and available to be used by God to speak truth in love to an unbelieving world who does not believe. If we want to be a church that looks like the early church, meaning a church that's vibrant, that's growing, that's multiplying, a church that's, that's desiring to see God be magnified and glorified, then we ought to be a church that does the things that the Bible commands us to do, but does the things that they did, which is prayer and worship and speaking truth, preaching the gospel to an unbelieving world and and there are various ways that we can do that, right? To be used by God is not just to be a missionary. To be used by God is to look like the gospel, be the gospel in your neighborhoods, in your city, in your church. To be used by God is to be open and available to what God has called us to do. He has not called us to be idle. He has not called us to sit in the pews and enjoy a good sermon. He's not called us just to come here, pump gas, and leave. We're not spectators of the gospel. We're participants of the gospel. If you want to be used by God, we ought to do what they did. But we can't stay stagnant. And surely we can't do that today. Right? Like, for so many years, for so many years, the church has been silent. It's boarded up its properties and kept the gospel for itself. And then we wonder why there's so many issues in our countries because the church has been silent. We're too afraid and we're too polarized. We're afraid to offend the other person who believes differently than us. We're afraid of what our neighbors are going to think. We're afraid of what people are going to think. That, that's not the call this morning. The call this morning, you wanna be used by God? Speak truth in love. You want to be used by God? Pray. Be led by the Spirit and watch God move. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, you are good. You are gracious. And Lord, in this sermon, we desire 
to be used by you. Not only to to see people come to know you, but Lord, to, to speak truth to the places and areas of our own life and the places and areas of our city, our community, our family and friends who have yet to see your miraculous gospel transform them. God, would you use us this morning? Would you use us this week to be the gospel, to be light in darkness, to be the people you've called us to be called out and sent? We pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say, you guys are dismissed. We'll have pastors and leaders up front to pray for you. Go in his peace. We'll see you guys next Sunday. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.